Stretching beneath the vast central Queensland plains, from cane to sapphires and cattle country, snakes the rich coal seams that are the livelihood of hundreds of small communities. 4RFM are on a quest to unearth, not coal, but the untold stories of the coalfields. Join us, Brianna and Elena, each month as we travel through towns, pubs and waterholes to seek out mysteries, ghosts, UFOs and strange phenomena. You're listening to 4RFM, untold stories of the coalfields. I do have a pretty good bullshit to tell you. I've got four kids, so. <laughs> I guess the reason why I believe it was for real the most is because I wasn't looking for it at the time. It was the last thing I was expecting to happen and it just sticks with you too. Welcome to another episode of Untold Stories of the Coalfields Across the Range. This time we went into Mackay travelled a bit further afield because we found an author by the name of S.K. Munt, who we will refer in bits and pieces to as Sam, which is her first name, but author name S.K. Munt. So she is from Mackay and her book and The Memory Remains was one that we found pretty early on. Hey, yeah, I've had it for a while. When we first kind of started this, we, yeah. I guess we must have Googled. And it's impossible to get in Mackay. I had to yeah. order it off Amazon or something and it came from the UK. Yeah. <laughs> she lives in Mackay. Ridiculous. But yeah, that's how we found it was Googling ghost stories around the area and yeah, it's pretty, it's good. She's put out a call for people from around the area to, you know, tell her their ghost stories and stuff that they'd heard and they did and so she's kind of, it's kind of broken into suburbs, hey, and um, she goes through different stories for each suburb, but she also talks about at the in her book, and she mentions it in the podcast today, uh, that there was a mobile library that used to come out to where she lived when she was little, and the librarian there kind of made her fall in love with, with reading and with the horror genre, I guess. He wouldn't lend her the gory books that she wanted because she wasn't old enough. We've all been there. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's a, just pretty cool. And so we met up with her in the City Heart in the new library, which is probably not very new. It's the first time that I've First I time I've there. ever been in there. It has escalators, which is exciting. Uh, it's, it is a very cool space, but it does get a little bit loud in places because we are talking to her out on the veranda. So there's kind of bird noise and there's you know, oh, just plane decides to fly and, over. Yeah, so it, try and ignore that if you can. It's still pretty good, clear audio, but I do apologise for the noises in the background. But we are kind of letting her take the reins on this one. So here we go. When I was little, I just got absolutely obsessed with finding out as many ghost stories as I can, whether they were fictional or real. And then I'd retell them to my friends down the back, and always got a good scare, and that led to me loving reading horror. And then I think I just started collecting them in my head a little bit and then started writing horror and somehow it just all came together. I'm not quite sure even what spurned it. Someone just said to me one day, you know what, you should actually write these down and someone will buy a book. And I thought, I wonder if there's enough. So I um, did a post on Facebook asking if anyone had any stories and the Daily Mercury picked it up and gave it way more publicity. And the next thing I knew I was being inundated with stories from people i think a lot of people are very very interested in that stuff always have been so they they want to know it like you go what's funny is you go somewhere like um england and i would love to go there someday but apparently here in australia i think if someone dies in the house or someone's murdered you have to disclose it i think it's murder if someone's murdered you have to disclose it but apparently in england there's no such rule like that because there's 
they know that someone's died on literally every square inch of space. So there's no point. <laughs> that would be fun, but that explains why so many stories come out there. But I've always believed in it, and, and just writing that book did just made me believe it even more. We had some owners of certain houses that didn't want to speak on the matter yep. at all. Um, I tried speaking to a historian, uh, a very very successful Mackay historian. Everyone is beloved. I tried asking her some questions I got hung up on. <laughs> so, like, okay, but that's fine, you know. That just, that just lets you know there's seeds of truth there, oh, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> she, well, I think sometimes it's, it can very often be a religious thing, too. Ah, yes. Do you yep. know what I mean? Yeah, so, you've got to be yep. very careful there. And I, and I was respectful that her research helped me anyway because it's everywhere, it's yep. available, but yeah. Well, I can understand the religious thing being a Christian and my whole life told to just stay away from anything to do with the occult. But I mean, that doesn't mean I don't believe in ghosts. I think there's just too much evidence for it. And Sigmund Freud, the father of psychoanalysis, once claimed that spiritual beliefs and paranormal experiences were mere illusions. By lacking any sort of scientific explanation, Freud believed that messages from the dead or apparitions themselves were nothing more than a hiccup of the brain. Oh, there you go. Hiccup of the brain. <laughs> On the other hand, William James, the author of The Varieties of Religious Experience, A Study in Human Nature. I looked this up. It was written in about 1901. Actually, I think it was a lecture that he's turned into a book. Uh, believe that spirituality should be included as a healthy component of psychological functioning, uh, i.e. believing in mysterious occurrences lead to a more fulfilling and well-rounded life. Oh, there you go. But does it so? Does it say in like Christian teachings that you that there is no ghosts? Because some of the stuff we talk about kind of crosses over sometimes. So there's angels, but it says not. So ghosts are classed as more of the occult. Well, it, yeah, I'll, I'll stuff. get into it. But they do like the Bible does mention ghosts. Christians believe that God may and sometimes does permit a departed soul to appear in some visible form to people on earth. Uh, their purpose may be to teach or warn or request some favour for the living. Uh, lots of this comes from the Catholic Church because they're obviously... That's what I was going to say. Is there a specific factor that it yeah, is very handy? Yeah, and they teach that all forms of deviation are to be rejected. This includes recourse to Satan or demons, conjuring up the dead or other practices falsely supported to unveil the future. Right. So consulting palm readers, interpreting omens or interest in clairvoyance or conceal a desire for power over time, history and in the last analysis, other human beings. Uh, so that contradicts the honour, respect and loving fear that we owe to God alone. So I guess, you know, as a Christian, we believe that God, God's got this. He, he's already got a plan for our life. So to go and try and find out our future yeah. is kind of against Christian values. But uh, what does the Bible actually say about ghosts? In the New Testament, there are references to his disciples thinking Jesus was one. So in Matthew fourteen twenty six, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, Jesus this is, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. And then in Luke twenty four thirty nine, uh, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have, which is when Jesus was talking to yeah, yeah. the disciples. So, you know, the word ghost is actually mentioned. Yeah. Jesus didn't deny the existence of ghosts. He yeah. simply said he just wasn't. That's right. One. He said, look at me. I'm yeah. not a ghost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, if you look at that word in the Bible, and as you know, I've studied Hebrew. I'm hoping to study Greek next year. But that word Greek um, for ghost means appearance or apparition or specter, which doesn't really help us. But um, 
So the most well-known account of a ghost in the Bible actually takes place in the Old Testament. The witch of Endor is contacted by King Saul, who is in disguise, to summon the, the spirit of the prophet Samuel because he is just having a really rough go at war and doesn't know what to do. So the witch does her little incarnations and this is what happens. When the woman saw Saul, she cried out at the top of her voice and said, Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Obviously, she was a witch and then like a Christian king. So there's a witch in the Bible. Yeah, there's all sorts of stuff in the Bible. It's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? Because obviously the witch has been summoned for the king and she's seen a Christian king and been like, this is going to be bad for me. Yeah. You know, I don't want to come out as a witch and he's going to murder me or whatever. But (laughs) he's like, don't be afraid. Um, I actually just really need your help. Uh, And the woman said, I see a spirit coming up out of the ground. What does he look like, he asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The the Philistines are fighting against me, and God has turned away from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophet or by dream, so I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why do you consult me now that the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. So that's in 1 Samuel 28, 12 to 18. So this account makes me laugh, mostly because the witch is surprised and is horrified to see Samuel as any witch would be. Um, it doesn't really mention in the Bible that she gets, you know, disposed of or anything. I should but you think she did? Probably. <laughs> but what is most important here is not that she was able to do it, but that Samuel's spirit had to be summoned to come up. He wasn't just roaming around. He was in his resting place. So where was yeah. like where was he coming up from, which is interesting. <laughs> um, as a Bible scholar, you would... You would spend a fair bit of time looking into what that meant. Maybe I'll do that one day when I have some spare time. Uh, In the New Testament, Jesus has already stormed the gates of hell and retrieved those that belong to him. It says in Ephesians 4, 8 to 9, When he ascended on high, he held captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? There's a whole section in the Bible where he goes into hell and talks to people. Who? Jesus. Oh, really? Yeah. So what happens to the dead after the New Testament? We see in Hebrews 9, 27 that they face judgment. The outcome of this judgment is either heaven or hell. Uh, The Catholics believe in a purgatory or holding place until judgment. But again, this does not leave any room for simply wandering around in haunting cemeteries, taverns (laughs) and houses. The Bible clearly teaches there are spirit beings that can appear in our physical world. Those are angels and demons. Holy angels are righteous and good, while the followers of Satan are evil and deceptive. In fact, we are told that Satan masquerades as an angel of light and in order to kill, steal, and destroy, which is in John 10.10. It really should go without saying that these so-called ghosts that go around causing mischief but mostly scaring the hell out of people who encounter them are in fact demons. Occasionally you'll hear of one or two of them who seem to be harmless, but again, don't let first impressions fool you. So there are the people like crossing over with John Edwards, you know, like a modern-day medium. I don't even never know what happened to him. He's kind of (laughs) disappeared. But he claims to speak to dead loved ones of those in his audience, and that's just something that, as Christians, we are told to stay far, far away from. Um, From that, would you deduce that the lady from Mackay, the historian that didn't want to talk, would be Catholic? Or any religion. It's As a Christian, you just know if if you start opening up conversations and doorways to that stuff, you attract. Yep evil into your life pretty much and the first time we talked um which we couldn't 
air on the podcast because of the quality of the audio. She talked a lot about all the awful things that were happening in her life as she was doing this research. Yep. And obviously that's because she had opened that door and, and let all that evil kind of know her yep. through that veil kind of thing. But interesting. Read the Bible. Lots of cool stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. witches. Yeah. <laughs> Dinosaurs too. <laughs> dragons. I have heard dragons. I'm excited to be to get to the dragon part. <laughs> All right. But so. anyway, if you, if someone does have an issue with, you know, demons or ghosts in their house, go see your local pastor. They'll know what to do. Oh, yeah? Yeah. There the other day go. I was at a, a pastor meeting and there's quite a few things happening in town where pastors have had to go and cleanse and... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So cool. <laughs> Still happening. That's I'm glad it's not happening in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, yeah, stuff happening in the region. A lot of the stories that I focused on for the book, I tried to go with ones that I honestly believed that was for real. I think some sometimes I just have a vibe and you pick up, and it. it may not be the biggest story, but you just go, yeah, I can I can hear it in their voice and the way they worded their letters or emails to me, um, or the way they sounded on the phone. You, you can tell which ones really, really shook people. So they're the stories I tried to go with. Those and ones where there were multiple um, different witnesses. I try to tell it the way I would tell it to my kids or my friends. Yeah. Differences between urban legends and real life. So um, she would have had to sift through a lot of urban legends, the author, because every town's got their little thing. And some of the urban legends in that are my favourite kind of stories. And I can remember telling them when I was a kid around a campfire or, you know, in your tent with your sleeping bag freaking everyone out with your little stories but and you know the stories some of my favorites the teenagers making out on the road the boyfriend gets decapitated by the madman do you remember that one Mm -hmm. banging the head on the car i mean just have to remember (laughs) we grew up in the 80s where there was a whole lot of horror movies being released (laughs) that's right and these are passed on by word of mouth so (laughs) there was no internet to look up um but my particular favorite which i'm going to tell for dramatic flair so I do love this one and my kids know this one well because I used to do it a lot with them all right so one night long not long ago a young woman and you would always say she's around our age it will be a girl in this case it would be a woman she was home alone with her dog smart practical and self-sufficient she doesn't panic when an alert on tv informs her that a serial killer has escaped from a nearby prison with her dog at her heels she surveys the house locks the doors and windows and curls up upstairs in bed with her dog finishes her book and drifts off to sleep the girl soon awakens she hears a distant dripping sound half awake she checks the bathroom taps but gives up and returns to bed receiving a lick on the hand from her loyal dog in comfort again she's roused from slumber by the drip 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 but feels the reassuring lick from her dog and falls back to sleep but the third time she hops out of bed determined to locate the source of the incessant noise and heads to the kitchen downstairs when she flips on the light the scene that greets her is horrific her beloved dog is hanging from the roof with its throat cut the blood dripping onto the ground screaming the girl backs into the wall behind her and collapses sobbing through tears she looks around and there on the wall someone has written in her dog's blood humans lick too end scene do you remember that story no oh my god we used to tell it one all the time it's disturbing means you know just another way and actually the story that is everywhere and i just had to google you know dog licking hand horror story and come up with heaps of stories on the internet but uh i can remember the dog was always under the bed because she'd put her hand down and the dog would lick her hand and so hence the reason i've never put my limbs over the side yeah, of I my don't either there's always bed. something bad <laughs> <under> the bed. <laughs> 
But yeah, anyway, so she did have to go through a few urban legends to get to the truth. The Blue Nun was probably the oldest story I knew. I was telling that, but I was making it shoal point when I was little. And it was based on some other horror story book I'd read about Borley Rectory in America. And it had a haunted nun. Like, that was my sort of kungum. That was how I put that story together. But when I actually looked into all the Slade Point reports, I was pretty disappointed to realise that it was really no I, I think more has come out since then but I couldn't find anything concrete and, and definitely no proof to prove that there was ever any reason why Nun would have been out there in the first place why she would have attached to that area so yeah that was a bit disappointing but um, that was sort of made up for by all the stories about the mech in town yep that was exciting actors are crazy people like they want your attention i know i am one and i'm surrounded because i am a theater person so i'm surrounded by them all the time i can tell you none of us are going to go easy like yep. <laughs> if, if there's a um the chance to get your attention afterwards i wouldn't mm, not surprised that they went for it well what are we somebody said to us once here yeah, pubs and theaters because yeah that's where the big personalities you know, also there's often haunted pubs. for a lot of people too. yeah yes yeah. yeah it is true it doesn't always have to be like a negative thing um but definitely the bigger the personality, the, the more likely it is I think they're going to leave a haunting behind. I do have a lot of experiences. I think some people might just be sort of, well, I think I'm a drama magnet in general. <laughs> well, as far as the ghost stories go, yes, personally also a drama magnet. So maybe the two things just come together. But I've always been sensitive and paying attention. I guess I was always a bit paranoid too and kind of looking for stuff. But it's, it's Growing weird. Up the with stuff Stephen King will do yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. But the stuff that actually happened to me, I guess reason why I believe it was for real the most is because I wasn't looking for it at the time it was the last thing I was expecting to happen and just yeah and it sticks with you too a lot of that stuff happened when I was from about seven years old to about 16 and it's still very much clear in my head how it went down so so in the first audio like Brianna said earlier that we couldn't play because it was a bit muddled which is probably Oh, the Could ghosts be. were interfering. <laughs> like be. when I printed out the notes for this and the notes are seriously weird. They look fine on the screen and then when I print them out, there's like sentences just crossed over each other. So, yeah. So what we're talking about now is when Sam was saying when she started, when she was doing research for the book, sorry, uh, she had a few circumstances of bad luck, I suppose, or odd things happen to her while she was researching which was really interesting and yeah in the original audio she does there's quite a few things that happen but she does she talks about stuff that has happened to her next she'll tell you a few things but uh and remember she told us the story someone i can't remember who it was maybe a medium in town showed her how to correctly uh exit a cemetery that's right it was kind of like a ritual to say like leave me alone because remember she felt like things were following her home yeah and actually i can remember and I should have researched that, but I didn't. When we were kids and Ouija boards were a big thing and there was always a proper way to close that as well because otherwise I think you close had to the doorway or something. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah, I how annoying it would be for all those evil things and demons <laughs> living in, um, you know, hell and then there's all these kids constantly <laughs> with their Ouija boards. Teenage girls on a Friday night. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Should I> get <laughs> in touch. Uh, yeah, so have you, have you got a story of anyone of something happening? No, was I supposed to? Oh, we're supposed to research an instance oh, well, of someone that, having something happen to yeah, you. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. yeah, I have. Yeah, but it wasn't in Australia. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. Yeah, and I come across this, I don't know, I like lots of weird and wonderful pages on Facebook, <laughs> so I see all these kind of things. And this one keeps coming up a lot, and it's about the cursed grave of Seath Moor. And it was topped with five cursed homing stones. 
and it is only the brave or foolish who dare to approach the grave. His grave lies in Scotland, in the Scottish Highlands, and it on the gravestone itself is written, Victor in the combat at Perth in 1396, the only man to survive the Battle of the Clans. Ooh. So he was obviously quite well-renowned chieftain. Uh, he didn't pass away until 1405. So lying deep in ancient woodland... On this estate, I can't say the word, I can't speak Scottish. <laughs> it's a really long name. Uh, this 14th century grave is linked with ghostly sightings and elf-like spirits, the guardian spirit of the grave. Nice. Nowadays, the grave is enclosed in an iron cage for people's own protection, but legend speaks of men who have fallen foul of the grave's curse after touching the stones on top, some of them not living to tell the tale. So the stones... Apparently they're cheese-shaped and they rest on top of the grave. The homing stones are placed in a typical pattern of five. Tamper with any of the stones on top of the grave and bad things will happen to you, either because of the ghost of Seathmore or this little elf-like sprite thing. Apparently it has, has known to have a raging temper, known as the Dune. The spirit once guarded the estate that was owned by the chieftain. Oh, righty. So when ownership of the estate fell into the hands of the Grants, uh, the Dune began to guard Seth's grave instead. Very cool. So what are they called? Homing stones. Yeah, homing stones. So there are well-known victims of the cursed homing stones. So during the early 1800s, when body snatching was just starting to take hold in Scotland, a footman said to be in the employment of the Duke of Bedford wanted to prove to everyone that the legend was purely fictitious. After walking bravely to the grave, he clasped his arms around one of the stones and hurled it into the nearby river. Reports say the stone was missing for three days and all was well. But on the fourth day, however, the stone was found returned to its rightful place and the footman was found drowned in the, in the oh, river. Oh, that's cool. I know. Don't touch the stones. No, there must be big stones if he had to put his arm around. Yeah, that's around what I was thinking. A journalist had strong ideas of discrediting the story of the cursed stone and decided to visit the site himself. During his visit, he took hold of one of the stones, held it high above his head, reportedly in a mocking fashion, showing everyone how little he believed the stories. This was in the 1940s. <laughs> uh, anyway, he was... Was killed in a car crash only hours later. Oh, wow. Yeah, watch out. <laughs> mock the stone. Uh, Mr. Leslie Walker and two friends were carrying out work in the churchyard when Mr. Walker turned one of the stones around to show it to some of his friends. In an interview in the Aberdeen Evening Press, he recalled how he was taken ill later that night with a temperature of 103 degrees. This quick touch of only one stone landed him in hospital for a period of six weeks together with a weight loss of 19 kilos. However, one of the men he was working with wasn't so lucky. He too had touched the stone, but instead of only turning them a little, it's reported that he completely rearranged them. Less than 24 hours later, he was found dead in the graveyard after suffering a cerebral brain hemorrhage. Why would you tempt fate like that after you'd seen uh, the first few? Idiots. I know. I know. And so apparently there is still rumours that the chieftain spirit is seen by many who visit the area and is said to appear to hikers who perhaps stray too deep into the forest. Show fear to the challenge supposedly given by Seath and run away from the ghostly apparition, then you are never heard of again. If, however, you accept the challenge, Seath is said to just disappear and leave you in peace. Oh, God, I desperately want to go and don't want to go. Look it up. It's all over the internet, somewhere yeah. in the Scottish Highlands. But um, So now there is, like as I said, a big cage kind of over top of the so grave. No one. So no one can be <laughs> dumb enough to touch it. Oh, I, that's so cool. I'm very much looking forward to Googling that. And we'll, we'll put pictures up on our website. We'll yes. find pictures of those stones. That's so cool. I was looking up because I remember hearing stories about this 
for my whole movie watching life. So it was, I can't remember what year, but the 70s movie, The Exorcist. Do you remember that movie? Yes, um, yep. So, which is consequently my sister's most terrifying film of all time. If you even talk about it, she like won't be able to sleep for days. <laughs> She's not, not a fan, deeply scarred by The Exorcist, which we were probably far too young to be watching anyway. <laughs> but, so there are so many different things that happen on the set and while filming that movie that jinx. are just too, yeah, too weird to not be from it. So, there was not one, not two, but nine deaths of cast and crew members before The Exorcist was released. So two actors that were scripted to die in the movie died during the post-production stage of filming. One of the actors was said to have died of natural causes, though the timing is weird. The other actor died from complications of the flu. Not only that, but many of the cast and crew, including Linda Blair, who played the possessed character Regan, uh, lost family members during the time. So the son of Jason Miller, who's from the film, he nearly died in a motorcycle accident during the filming. And on top of everything else, Paul Bateson, who played the nurse, uh, killed a reporter before the release of the movie, which no one could find a motive for. He just kind of lost the plot. Then another thing, William Friedkin, who was one of the directors, received a phone call alerting him to a fire that had happened on set. So apparently a pigeon flew directly into a circuit box in the set of what's the McNeil's house and started like a completely destructive fire. It burnt down the set. It nearly burnt down the entire thing. The only room that didn't get burned was the room of the possessed girl in the movie, which is bizarre. So because that happened, I think there was like a six-week delay in publication. They brought in priests. But I have just heard only last week another reason that they brought in priests, which is just an interesting side note. So the lady who voiced the possessed Regan, she was an actress, but she was an alcoholic who was worried about relapsing. So she asked for a priest to be brought in for her to stop her from, you know, going off the rails. But apparently her routine to keep her voice so harsh and awful involved drinking whiskey, chain smoking and swallowing raw eggs. <laughs> um, and then more. So while shooting one of the scenes in the film, Ellen Burstyn, who plays the mum, she got severely injured due to a malfunctioning harness. So there's a, a point in there where the little possessed Regan pushes her and the harness that was supposed to pull her back malfunctioned and she landed on her coccyx, which resulted in a permanent spinal injury. And her scream during that scene was actually caused by real pain. A carpenter lost his finger while working on the set. A light tech lost his toe watching the movie, which people weren't quite ready for in theatres at that point. One person did fall down and broke their jaw. Uh, also, the rigging on the bed from that Linda Blair, so Regan, something happened with that that broke and she was hurt crashing to the ground in another scene. Jason Miller, who played Father Carras in The Exorcist, so he was one of the priests who went to help Regan. So during the time of filming, he got an eerie warning from another priest, like an actual priest, who didn't know him or didn't know what he was doing or whatever, he went up to him in the street and handed him a medallion and said, reveal the devil for the trickster that he is. He will seek retribution against you or he will even try to stop what you are trying to do to unmask him. So that was, again, super random. And then Linda Blair, so she was only 14 during that movie. So apparently the working conditions were really shit and she was only young they dropped the temperature to below zero so that the her breath was frosty and she was wearing just a nighty of course and everyone else was wearing proper clothes and yeah she was just flung around like I said in, in her harness so she had a lot of mental breakdowns as you can imagine for a 14 year old girl and then even as far back to the book so the author of the book William Peter Blatty he experienced strange activity while he was writing the book so, which is based on true events. But his wife believed she saw a hairbrush float in thin air and he didn't believe her until he seen their telephone doing the same thing. Hmm. So 
like you said, don't you open muck that. around with the occult. <laughs> telling me about this haunted spot I needed to check out and they mentioned the address a few times and I was delivering pizzas again for Mars at the time and one night I entered in a, um, the address for where I was supposed to go and it took me to nowhere, it took me to the cemetery in the city heart which is right near the bridge and there's this road that goes a dirt, it is a street with houses at the cemetery and then it turns into dirt and goes down to the river and it took me to the dirt section of the road right next to the house I thought that's really bizarre so I entered a different thing. I entered the address in again, and it took me about six blocks back the other way to the correct address. And it was my Woolworths lady that answered the door. That I, I knew her really well by that. Was it? Oh my god! You wouldn't believe what just happened. I told her the story. We had a laugh, and I think it was a week later I found out that that had been a haunted spot. That wow. my friend was like, "Oh, I've got to tell you about this house that my friend lived in when she grew up." And it was that spot directly wow. across the street from the cemetery. Yeah, that that's is weird. <laughs> I was just joking the other day because when I went to, to the um, old Carol's News Agency, which is down the road here, um, the next block over, and there was a lot of hauntings there over the years. And next door to it is a psychic. And she met me at Carol's and she had like a, a brief moment of possession where she spoke to me in a way of the ghost upstairs because Carol's and the psychic place, they, they share above space. I think she's Carol's moved since then and she's inherited a lot of space. But while I was there, she said to me, you need to tell things to leave you need to tell them to leave and she goes and you're pregnant I said no I am not pregnant and she goes no you are she said well she said someone in this room was and the other lady was 50 and another one was 16 I'm like it's not me I can tell you right now it didn't and it found out exactly three or four weeks later that I had an ectopic pregnancy and apparently that happens a lot to people that are spending a lot of time in haunted locations so I end up losing a tube over it this all happened during the writing of that book but um I ended up having a lot of nightmares afterwards about the ghost that I believed was responsible for everything at Carol's. And then I'd actually imagined seeing him in my husband's living room. And what is really weird is we bought some furniture last year. It's that Grecian stuff here that uh, looks like it's all ancient ruins and the pillars and everything. We bought some furniture and it's really hard to find. Then I found some pieces the other day and it turns out the lady selling it was the psychic. Oh. And she was storing it above Carol's. Wow. So I had to go there and collect it. And when I brought it home, I was saging oh, it. I oh. saged it. So everything, I was walking around and my husband's laughing. Then he goes, yeah, no, I'm not. He goes, I felt it too. Keep going. <laughs> Keep up the good work. And my daughter's also afraid of walking out in that space at night still. Yeah. Because every nightmare I had was set in his living room. Wow. It's like I brought this thing home with me. So when I went and bought the same um, furniture that was being stored in his space, I'm like, yeah, I'm not taking any risks here. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> The cemetery situation with Kai is insane. Like, uh, like I said, when I first, it's mentioned in the book, when I first put the feelers out, I was going off addresses. So I had like this big list written down of all these addresses and I'd started working them into different suburbs. And I was driving my daughter to work because we both worked at Mars Pizza at the time. And I said, oh, you know what? There's some of these addresses are in West, um, East Mackay. Let's go look at them. So we drove and as we were driving, we realized we were driving in a perfect square. And then after that, we worked out that that was actually the old cemetery over near, um, what's this, Victoria, is it Victoria Park School? Yeah. Oh, Queen's Park. Yeah, That was actually that land, and and all these hauntings were in the the block right around us. That's insane. (laughs) Very cool, though.
Oh, my favourite story I just found super interesting was all the burial grounds in Mackay. Mm. And having lived in Black's Beach and in Bacasia, knowing that there was all those children there from the orphanages buried, that was just super interesting for me. And to still not know where they are. There's probably yeah. people living on top of them having creepy stuff happening in their house <laughs> that's because they're living on graveyards. <laughs> but that's anyone who lives in Mackay will find the book super yes. interesting because pretty much goes through every suburb in Mackay. There's like... There might not be a hundred different stories for that suburb, but there's definitely like one or two. And all this, the mech stuff, that was really interesting. Yeah, the mech stuff was interesting. And we did ask Sam what her favourite bit was, but my favourite bit was when she talks about living on that flat on Bridge Road that had the stairs. Mm. And the guy downstairs was always mad at her for making such a racket upstairs, but she was never home at the time, which is terrifying. And the other story when the people, are, a couple are sheltering in the cemetery from the rain, and the rain was super heavy, and both of them thought that they seen like dozens of people walking, which I would just probably die on the spot. <laughs> the rain cleared up, and they got away. I'm not quite sure I ever shelter um, in a cemetery in a rainstorm no. anyway. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, something really terrible would have to happen for me to be taking that as my option. <laughs> I think the one on um, the crossing up near Boral Concrete, so on, what's that road called now, behind Heath's Road, Heath's Road is it? Sort of up that... Go out past Maccas? Yeah, out past Maccas and you find out that a few people, and this actually unfolded on the page when people were sharing their stories, someone said, oh my gosh, once I was sitting in a car and I saw this guy on the road and we freaked out and we pulled over and then we looked in the rear vision mirror and he was behind us and then he vanished. And I was like, oh, that's creepy. And then someone else said, oh my God, was this on such and such road? That happened to me. I was like, what? And then another person jumped, so it was three with the same story. And I thought that was pretty cool. And when I looked into it further and found out that it actually used to be a graveyard in that area and then it got relocated and, and sort of built over because of flooding, I was like, oh, that's, yeah, that definitely made the hairs on my arms stand up. So still, at first when I drove down there, because I was quite freaked out at the time, I would make a point of turning my rear vision mirror up so I wouldn't see anything. I think now I go looking for it though. <laughs> The history was a lot of fun, I swear. I think I spent twice as much time researching the places after the fact into their history that I did actually collecting stories. Like, that was about a two-month process, but the actual research, I was up all hours at night. I've got so many old dusted books. I was in the Historical Society. They've got a great section here, too. So I was in here on the microfish machine going through all the murders and things like that. So, yeah, I end up learning so much about this town. And I was impressed because I always thought we had such a quiet history here. It's such a sleepy town. I remember the first person I knew of getting murdered. And then you look into the history and there's been thousands, thousands yep. and thousands. So our next two podcasts will be like a two-part section on blackbirding. And for our listeners who don't know what blackbirding is, uh, it was like indentured labour, indentured slaves, really. A bunch of people that were, you know, pretty much just islanders out there in, in the South Sea Islands just going about their business fishing and spearing and whatever out on their little canoes and then, you know, in sails these ships and just pretty much picks them up off the beach or wherever they were at the time kidnapped, tricked and coerced and brought them over here to predominantly Mackay, Townsville. A couple went to somewhere in New South Wales and they worked the sugar plantations and there's a humongous history in Mackay that people just don't heaps. know about. There is heaps in Mackay and it's very sad. Hey? Mm. Like it's, it's no surprise there's quite a bit of strange activity happens in Mackay because there's a pretty big horror stories in there from that. And I think that the really sad part was then they uh, the white Australia policy came in and they were all forcibly deployed and most of them, a lot of them had, they were 
say, 12 or 15 when they were stolen and then they were sent back when they were, say, in their 40s and they didn't even remember who their parents were or even who their families were or what island they came from. Yeah. So, and plus the villagers over there sometimes in most cases never knew what happened to their loved ones. If they didn't come back, then, you know, they decided to stay and there was never, you know, they still, to this day, welcome them back. Yep. And finding them. So, yeah. yeah. We look forward to that podcast. It's a lot yes. of history there. And yes. a lot of people that we know. So no, it's, it is. It's very cool. But, yeah, it's a sad history of Mackay. And they've also, Mackay's had a lot of natural disasters, I guess. There was a lot of cyclones before anybody knew what cyclones kind of really were. There was 30 people killed in 1918, January 2021. So 1,000 buildings destroyed and, yeah, 30 people killed. No one knew that the cyclone was coming. And I think at that point, naming cyclones was a thing, but the guy who was in charge of naming cyclones was on holidays. So that cyclone doesn't have a name. Oh. So whatever it was in 1918. So right now is just like an alphabet thing, just so someone can come <laughs> up with a name. <laughs> so if he's on holidays, it can still Yeah, we're done. at D. <laughs> name it something D. Yeah, but like, and there's stories of different floods and stuff happening in Mackay. So there is a lot of bit of sadness that's happened around in there, but it tragedy but this is not tragic just interesting that when we were researching the Clermont floods I did find a story that I cannot find now but it was about a cyclone in Mackay it could possibly have been the 1918 one but the sugar mills were all destroyed and so the sugar went all through the streets and the sugar mixed with the water and then the water dried out it got hot and so it was just like a big sticky mess and there was like thousands and bazillions of insects which is super interesting and but, at um, the time would have really been seen as, you know, a curse or yes, as a... that's very true. You know. Would have been less of a pain in the ass to clean up and more ominous. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Since I've written this book, it's gone and absolutely quadrupled again, the amount of stories that are coming in from people that, that have these things they want to share and experiences they may have forgotten about for a while now and reading this has brought it back to them or something their friend told them happened to them. It just keeps going in this circle. It just keeps generating more and more. And so is there a second in the works? Or you... I think there will be. Yep. Um, it probably won't be this year. I might start researching at the end of this year, but I have a big series to finish right now that I'm already 12 months behind on. My fans yeah, are so a bit mad. Tell us about you for now. We'll step out of your, the, <laughs> this book. What was your first published book? Uh, my first published book was a, a mermaid supernatural like romance book called The Marked Ones, and that was set um, in Bicasia because I grew up across the road from Kahuna Beach Resort, oh, nice. and they let us come all the time, and my mum was involved with the outriggers, so I grew up with a resort basically in my backyard and the beach on the other side of that, so I did a mermaid series that's an Australian one on that, and that was a four-book series, and it had to end up having a, a three-book young adult follow-up about one of their kids like years down the line. Uh, I've done a zombie one um, that's about a big, which is funny, sort of like COVID. It started with a virus and, and injections, and that started in Andergrove in my head. Of course, I never referred to the names of any of these places. It's just loosely based on, but that was basically a zombie adventure all the way down the Bruce Highway, people trying to escape to the big city. Nice. From Mackay to the big city. So that was fun. And oh, I've got six series all up. But this wow. this one I'm writing right now, it's ten parts and it's massive. And it's all about God versus Satan and angels and demons. And so I was being very involved. But it was due out last January. And my husband ended up getting diagnosed with thyroid cancer in March. So it just threw our whole year off a little bit. So I'm finally yeah. getting to finish it now. And then I'm going to go turn all the other... Um, 20 books into paperback so I'll have all 30 in paperback but then once that's done I'll focus on new projects but but yeah I think in a few months I'll put some feelers out and say okay 
part two, what have you got for me? I've had a few people come out and say, oh, that's... Yeah, I wasn't expecting that, especially John the librarian, actually, the one that um, I wrote about him a little in the intro saying that he was like a bit of a god to me growing up because he's the one that had all the good books that he wouldn't lend me. <laughs> but um, he takes his uh, grandkids to my kid's school and I saw him one day and said, hey, John, just to let you know, I wrote this thing about you in a book and it went bestseller the other week. Oh, really? And he went and read it. And he bought it off Amazon, and he brought it to school for me to sign. He said, I was blown away by that. He says, my wife's read it a few times. It's like, oh. So I wasn't expecting I thought he would be like, okay, sure, Sam, sure. But no, he really enjoyed it. So, Oh, that's an awesome full circle thing. It Thank is. You. Absolutely. We got a little photo together. It was very nice. All right. So all it takes, obviously, is one person to change your life, set you on a bit of a career path. So... For Sam, was her librarian, John, which was super cool. I do love to read and write. I know you do too, Brianna. So I had some teachers in primary school. I can't remember their names anymore, but they really promoted reading and writing and got you to stand up the front and read out your stories and made you feel kind of important. So I think that's pretty a pretty influential thing. My mother used to read to us all the time when we were kids. She always had a book in her hand on holidays. We were constantly going to book exchanges everywhere we went. So credit her for that too. In high school, I had one of my English teachers was really inspirational. So I'm pretty much the same. It was school because I used to even enter book writing competitions. Yep. And I even won one once. And just my parents just were constantly I, I think about it now I remember we went on holidays to Noosa and we rented a holiday house and my sisters loved to swim and I don't get in the water so I'd just lay there all weekend or all week and just read a book and every single time I'd finished I was reading Outlander every time I'd finished a book my dad would go up to the bookshop and buy me the next one and then once I'd finished that he'd go and buy me the next one and I think <laughs> that was so expensive yeah and uh, you know it wasn't Kindle back then and yeah he really supported my my love of reading, and I don't remember him ever being cranky. Like when I wanted a book, he just got it for yep. me. Oh, see, there you go, folks. Read to your kids. Yeah. <laughs> and even now, I mean, my nieces and nephews probably hate it, but that's all they get from me yeah. <laughs> is books. Oh, they're, yeah. they're an important – I hate the bookshops are dying. It's, it's a, They're an important thing. I do love my Kindle. I don't know. I was in QBD the other day in Rocky and it was packed. I said to my oh, husband, yeah. I'm like so proud of everybody in here. Like, look at all these readers. <laughs> well, actually, every time I go to the one in Mackay, there's always people in there. So, yeah, maybe it's not. Maybe it'll have a revival. <laughs> yeah, surely. And growing up, my favourite book was uh, anything Stephen King. Yep. And when I think back to, I was like 10 reading Stephen King. It was one of those eras where... I don't know. Our parents let us watch anything and yep. read anything that we really should have been. <laughs> no wonder why I wouldn't sleep in my own bed. I didn't sleep in my own bed until I was in grade 10. I have two sisters and I used to sleep in between their beds every single night. Well, anyone does. Stephen King books will do that to you. Yes. I loved, again, kind of scary books. I remember Goosebumps when I was a bit older, but when I was little. So you know how you subscribe to National Geographic magazines? Do you remember I the, still get National um, Geographic yeah, magazines. It's awesome. <laughs> Bring them in and put them on the desk sometimes. It's great. Um, but do you remember, I think that they were called Unexplained? Do you remember that? It was the same thing as that. So every month you got this a magazine about weird stuff. And so it was about UFOs and um, mm. ghosts and, you know, paranormal stuff. And it was super cool. So that's my earliest memory of reading something, you know, that I kind of stayed interested in forever. But, yeah, like I said, it's great. Whatever you can whatever you can read. If you can find something for your kids to read, 
thing. Let them, let them go. And I just remember the, there was a Reader's Digest book. I'm sure you had it. Damn, Everyone had it on spiders and snakes and stuff. And there was like a wolf spider, that bit of lady. And every time someone would come, I'd be like, let's find that book and look at that wolf spider. It's like, let's have that bite. Yeah. Pre, you know. Computer games and yep. phones and all that sort of stuff. Oh, definitely. And the good old Encyclopedia Britannicas. Encyclopedia Britannicas, they did get a full workout, those things. That's where we got all our information. Every single kid's assignment must have referenced the exact same stuff. <laughs> I remember you used to go to the newsagent and you could get like a project yes, book. The pamphlet thing. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Kids these days don't know how good they have it they with really Google. Don't. No one has to make posters with projects stuck on, no. you know. Stuff cut out and put all over them. Everyone's doing Egypt. (laughs) (laughs) The same three resources. Someone said to me that um, her daughter's gotten really into writing and wants to know more since she read that. She started looking at it. I'm passing the torch along. That's great. It is great. That's all you really want as a writer. I think that's the ultimate goal is to someday make someone feel the way about a book the way you once were impressed by one. Thank you so much to Sam for chatting with us, SK Munt, and for meeting up with us. We love being able to talk to people face-to-face, so that was really cool. It is a really good book. It will make you look at Mackay differently. If you've ever lived there or if you're looking at living there, do grab it and have a read. Uh, you can head to the Fairy Tale Saga Facebook page is where you'll find lots of SK Munt stuff. Jump on Amazon and Google The Memory Remains by SK Munt, and you'll be able to find a copy of her book and all the other books in her collection that she does talk about. So, all oh, she's got so many so you'll be able to find all her stuff there and next time Brianna like you said blackbirding yes looking forward to it so we are talking to Jasmine Togo Brisby uh, who had an amazing artwork I guess it was at Artspace and Mackay when we were lucky enough to go and have a um, preview and yeah, look around yeah. we were the only ones there we got to have like a little backstage it was cool it was very cool and her auntie was awesome too who sat in on the interview with us yeah, so. we felt very VIP because usually we're spoken <laughs> so <laughs> thank you jasmine for that so it is good and yeah we'll grab a few locals who are going to come and chat to us as well so it's a it's very what's the word Brian? i don't know see i feel like i'm a little bit um what's the word when you you, you know about it all the time we don't know any words no <laughs> desensitized yes. to it you know because i grew up knowing about it and you know having all the family books and and all that sort of stuff so i guess it was just part of family history which it should, and it should be part of Australian history. It oh, that's be part right. Of, like education history. It's. I was pretty stunned about the stuff that we don't know, and I'm sure there's a hundred layers of stuff still. Oh, even I learned stuff from her that I didn't even know. It was amazing. She was great to talk to. So that's our next podcast. Keep an ear out for it. Until then, jump on our Facebook page. We'll have a link to where you can buy SK Month's book, and we'll have some pictures of the homing stones and whatnot. So stay tuned for the next one. And we won't be. We won't. We won't have as big a gap this time. No, we'll be we'll, out next month. We promise. <laughs> Why? It's currently <laughs> July. <so. laughs> we'll get to it.